I'll invite you to turn on your Bibles to First Peter chapter 4. as to why this is digging into my side here. Just like that. Is that okay? Can you hear me okay? Well, it's good to be with you this morning and... We're just going to focus this morning on a couple of verses in First Peter chapter 4 and sort of use these couple of verses not only to find out what Peter is saying in these verses but also as a launching pad to go to some other places this morning to help us understand spiritual, spiritual gifts. Um, it's good to see um, Bella Clements here today and we prayed for you last week, Bella, with regard to your big dentist operation. Did it go okay? Doing okay? That's great. And uh, good to see Mark here as well. Welcome, brother. It's good to see you. First Peter chapter 4, and we'll pick it up at verse 7. Peter writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see there at the end of that section, the whole purpose of spiritual gifts, the whole purpose of everything in life is that God would be Glorified. So in one sense, everything I'm going to say this morning is towards that end, that God be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. A couple of weeks ago we looked at verses 7 to 10. Sorry, verses 7 to, 7 to 9. And we saw that in the scope of the book, in the flow of the book, Peter had been writing to these persecuted believers persecuted because they were scattered with the persecution that had um, begun to um, spread out centralized in Rome and these people were scattered and they were suffering and they needed comfort, they needed direction, they needed counsel and Peter is writing to them to remind them of who they are in Christ, that they are citizens of the kingdom of heaven that they have an inheritance in heaven which is undefiled and which no, no one can touch, that they are the chosen of God and regardless of how much they might be rejected in this life, they have been chosen by God and will one day be with God forever. But in the meantime, they faced persecution and so Peter is addressing them as to how to endure, how to bear up when they suffer for righteousness sake and that is a theme all through these chapters that we've been looking at. It's interesting to me when you get to verse 7, he changes from the focus upon them in the world facing persecution to the Christians within the church in light of the fact that the end of all things is at hand, in verse 7, what are they to then devote themselves to in the context of their church relationships towards other believers? And he speaks about um, having a clear mind so that they can devote themselves to prayer, 
so that they might be apt to pray because their minds are clear with a clear view of the end of history in sight. So in light of the fact that one day God is going to culminate his redemptive history, this is the last act of God's drama of redemption. If you go way in the Old Testament, the calling of Abraham and the formation of a, a nation of Israel and then the bringing of King David, Saul, David and Solomon and then the kingdom split in two and then there was a restoration of the southern kingdom back to Israel and Nehemiah rebuilt the walls and then the coming of John the Baptist who preached and pointed towards Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Christ came, was rejected by the nation of Israel. He died, he rose again and 40 days later he returned to heaven triumphant. And now we are in the last days a technical term that's used throughout the New Testament, we are in the last hour, so that that is to say the end of all things is at hand. In light of that, we devote ourselves to prayer. Verse 8, we, we love one another earnestly. The word ektane, it means to stretch. It means to um, reach out um, with earnestness and love one another because love covers a multitude of sins. We're to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. And lastly, today, we see in these two verses a focus on using spiritual gifts. In light of the fact that Christ is coming again, what ought to be our response? Here it is. We are to use our spiritual gifts. Many years ago, there was a, a famous football coach in America named Bud Wilkinson. Um, Matt and Jessica aren't here today, so I'm not sure if they've heard of him, but we, the non-Americans, um, we hear of this man, Bud Wilkinson. And he was head of a football coach, Oklahoma University, uh, before he joined the President's Physical Fitness Program. He was once asked in an interview this question, what contribution does professional sport make to the physical fitness of Americans? Or we could say, what contribution does professional sport make to the physical fitness of New Zealanders today? And this was his answer. Very little. A professional football game, he said, is a happening where 50,000 spectators, desperately needing exercise, sit in the stands watching 22 men on the field desperately needing rest. And the writer of this book who used that illustration says that sadly in the church, that's the way it is. There's a handful, there's, there's a host of spectators and sometimes just a handful of participants. He writes, one thing is certain that this will never be the situation in the life of a church that understands and implements the biblical doctrine of spiritual gifts. It's a doctrine that's clearly taught in the New Testament. Spiritual gifts are important. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 says, Paul said this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed. Uh, Christian, the Word of God would say that you are not to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. We're to be informed. And there's four basic passages in the scriptures which speak of spiritual gifts and it is a little uh, help to us um, in that they're either all in chapter 4 of a book or chapter 12, okay? Spiritual main passages in the New Testament with regard to spiritual gifts are 1 Peter chapter 4, right here, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, which we read from this morning, and our service in Ephesians chapter 4. This is 11 to 16. So this morning what I want to do is unpack some of which is in, unpack what is in verses 10 and 11 and then kind of move to some other passages in order to help us not be uninformed about spiritual gifts. And uh, I have a number of points here and I'm just going to go through them and I trust it will be helpful. 
Firstly, let's firstly start at the beginning with asking the question, what is a spiritual gift? You've got to define what a spiritual gift is, right? Um, Peter here in verse 10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And the word he uses there for gift is the word charisma. And it's from the Greek word charis, which means grace. The word grace is charis. And so when you read about the charisma or the charismata, it's speaking of a spiritual gift. And so spiritual gifts are intimately connected with God's grace. In fact, they're gifts of his grace to his people. Okay? And notice also at the end of verse 10, he describes this matter of spiritual gifts as a matter of stewardship whereby we as Christians are stewards of God's varied grace. It's an interesting word there again, the word varied. Um, poikolos, it means multicolored. You could translate it like that. that. And that is an allusion to the fact that spiritual gifts are many and unique and different. There's so many different spiritual gifts in the New Testament. In fact, if you look at just the lists alone, there's over 21 spiritual gifts listed. And the indication is that those lists are not exhaustive. And then uh, coupled with that, the reality that the gift of teaching in and of itself could be expressed in so many unique different ways according to the person and the person's background and the unique emphasis they might have. For example, some uh, Bible some, someone with a gift of teaching might express that through focusing on issues of discernment and application of God's word. Others might be more upon exhortation or evangelistic uh, focus um, and so forth. Some might emphasize um, certain aspects of God's word more than others. Some, Even when you get to Bible school, there's, uh, I remember when I was in Israel on a trip in 1994, and we had the privilege of having three, three older men who had given their life to Bible teaching in seminaries, and uh, and I just assumed, I just assumed that they were all experts about everything. And so I, I, I asked this man, his name's Homer Kent. He's done a wonderful commentary in the Book of Acts, and I was curious about some things in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and I just asked him, what, what do you think? the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying here and his answer was, well, I, I can't be sure, but um, it's not really my main focus of area and his was a New Testament and uh, some professors are um, skilled in the original languages of scripture, maybe Hebrew or Greek, or some in systematic theology, some in New Testament and so forth. So there's a tremendous variety and if you go to any Bible school or if you go to any pastor, some will have different aspects of and expressions of the gifts that God has given. And, and that's a tremendous comfort, isn't it, to you as a Christian and me? Um, I can't, I shouldn't try and be like someone else because God has made me the way he's made me. He's gifted you and wired you the way he's wired you uniquely so that in a sense there's no one to replace you in the body of Christ. And that kind of gives you a sense of security, doesn't it, in yourself? You feel free to be yourself. In fact, the best heavenly music, Spurgeon said, is played in the key of B natural. I like that. The best heavenly music is played in the key of B, B natural. Um, what is a spiritual gift? It's a channel through which... God's power and God's grace flows from you to other believers in such a way that it helps them, it builds them up. It's a unique channel, a, a, a spiritual means given to you as a Christian in order to help other believers. 1 Corinthians 12.7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's a manifestation of the Spirit's work through you to others in the body. John Stott wrote his definition. 
he, he describes spiritual gifts as certain capacities bestowed by God's grace and power which fit people for specific and corresponding service. Definition of a spiritual gift. And we would, I would suggest to you that this is something different from a natural talent or ability. If you, you come along to Hamilton Christian School or you go into any high school like I did uh, this week at Boys High to take a Bible study, um, and just filling in for duty this week, and it just struck me that 2,200 boys in this school. Um, and among all that, you just need to read their newsletter, and also at HCS here, out on the front sign, a girl who's won the North Island Championship for, what was that? Hammer throw competition, this year nine girl. Um, yeah, amazing. So you see a vast variety of natural talents within... Um, like a school community. There's some who are academically gifted, some that are more sporting gifted, some who are very practically gifted, some who have the gift of ideas and being able to understand things and articulate them um, on a natural level. But when you come to the issue of spiritual gifts, these are gifts which are given by the Spirit to be used specifically by the Holy Spirit for God's people who each possess the Holy Spirit within. Okay, So there is a distinction in it. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit can't use our natural um, gifts. Um, I just believe that um, <clears throat> he can, but that spiritual gifts fall into a, a different category on one level. The second point I want to make is that spiritual gifts are given to every believer. If you're a Christian here this morning, you have a spiritual gift or gifts. First um, Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, As each, see that? As each has received a gift. If you go to First Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. There's no Christian who can say, I don't have a contribution to make to the body of Christ. On the contrary, the Word of God says you have been given a spiritual gift or gifts, and they are unique, and you need to be using them in the service of God's people for His ultimate glory. Number three, here's another statement. Spiritual gifts are for the building up of believers. Look at verse 10 of chapter 4. They are for others. As each has received the gift, use it to serve one another. Use it to serve one another. Um, that is to say that spiritual gifts are not for ourselves. They are not given to us so that we can become proud or um, they are to be used selflessly on behalf of the body of Christ. And, and the reality is that none of us have reason to be proud, although our sinful flesh sometimes deceives us. We've got no reason to be proud because they were given to us, right? If it was really our gift in the first place, then perhaps we'd have reason to become proud. But if you just understand that we don't have anything really other than what God gives to us there in lies um, a reason to be thankful and humble, um, regardless of what gift it is. They're given, not for you, but for others. First Corinthians 12, 7, again, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For others. And I, I ask you this morning as we think about this topic, do you see your Christian life in that light? Do you see the reality and understand that God gave you salvation? He gave you a spiritual gift. He, he has uniquely gifted you for service in the body of Christ. And are you focusing on using that for others? It's so important. Because without you, 
contributing your part, the body of Christ is unable to function as God intends it to. Number four, the Holy Spirit is sovereign over the giving of spiritual gifts. That is to say, we don't get to choose our spiritual gifts. It's not like you go to all these lists and you got like 21 lists there and you decide, I want this one, I want that one, and maybe a combination of these two. Um, perhaps the illustration of uh, you before you were born choosing your hair colour and eye colour and your natural talents would suffice to show just how sovereign the Holy Spirit is in the matter of choosing our spiritual gifts. Um, just as we didn't get to choose the, our physical makeup before we were born, so the Holy Spirit is sovereign in the giving of gifts. And he gives them. Verse 10, it says, As each has received a gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6 says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in all, empowers all and everyone. Chapter 12, verse 11, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. As he wills. And I, I believe and I suggest to you that when you became a Christian at that moment of salvation, God gave to you a spiritual gift. And I, again, I say that the list that we have, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, like you could, could look at it like this, that each one of us has a gift, if you want to talk of it in a singular, but it may be like an artist who God, the Holy Spirit, an artist who takes, has a palette of all the different colors and combines certain colors to do his work and create his ultimate um, artistic work in us. So if you, if you want to say that everyone has one gift, as uh, Peter describes it here, it may be that is a general reference to the fact that God perhaps makes, takes a combination of gifts and brings them all together in, in one person in such a way that we can describe our spiritual gifts as the gifts God has given to us. Now, quite a few years ago, there was, there was a number of... Um, tests and focuses that studies that were happening in the church um, with the intention that they were seeking to help people understand what their spiritual gift was. They got into a lot of detail and um, perhaps for some people that was not helpful because it meant that it kind of said to a lot of people, you really need to know exactly what your spiritual gift is before you do anything. Are you with me? Um, it's kind of like, I'm not going to step out and do anything until I know exactly the way God has gifted me. Um, there's, a, there's a problem with that, and that is that um, it's over time and it's over experience that you come to see how God uses you in the body of Christ. There's some people would say, when they hear of an opportunity to serve in a general way, well, sorry, I'm not going to be involved in that because it's not my gift. Um, and sometimes that can be used as an excuse not to serve in ways that perhaps you you could. And so I want to suggest to you today that the discovery of what your spiritual gifts are comes through your heart as you walk with the Lord and your willingness to serve in a variety of areas. And over time I would suggest to you that the body of Christ will give you some feedback on how God has used you, and over time you will see more clearly, perhaps not with total clarity, um, specifically how God uses you among his body, the church. And I really believe it's connected with our desire as well. Um, God not only gifts us, but he also gives us the desires on our heart to serve in certain areas, doesn't he? For example, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
the first thing before he says anything about the qualifications for oversight or eldership is he says this, if any man desires the office of overseer, it is a fine work which he aspires to. He uses two words there that are very strong. Uh, the first one, if any man um, aspires, that's the first word there. Um, it's, it's a word which means to stretch out and reach after. Strong internal compulsion towards serving in such a way. And the second word is the word epiphomia. It's a word which sometimes is tra- most often translated lust. That is to say a strong desire for a, a, a law, um, a wrongful passion, whereas in the matter of serving as a leader within the church, it is seen to be a right desire, strong desire, but towards a right end. You know, then the church, if someone uh, comes and says, I desire to lead in the church, I believe that God has gifted me in the matter of leadership. And then the church obviously looks at the qualifications and to verify that the desire is not just some kind of random desire or selfishly motivated, but genuinely there is. It's a true desire generated from the Spirit of God. Because if it is from the Spirit of God, then it will be in connection with a qualified life, a life of purity that is humble and desiring to serve God's people, not serve oneself. And the Holy Spirit is sovereign over these things. And number five, spiritual gifts are connected to the body metaphor of the church. The body metaphor of the church. You see that First Corinthians 12, don't you? The church is a body. And... Uh, you have a body this morning, and your body is made up of different parts. Um, and Paul speaks about that. In fact, let's just turn there and have a look. First Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. And he changes his topic here. He's been speaking about the Lord's Supper. He'd been speaking about women's uh, and men's roles in the first part of chapter 11. We've been going through these portions and resolved every Thursday night, um, every second Thursday night, and uh, just really been enjoying the richness of God's Word and plenty of questions and discussion. Um, And just to let you know what happened at Young Marriage this week, we had a Young Marriage study at um, Laura and my home, and just down the road at the Simpsons home, they were studying the passage about communion. Um, but we had a wonderful time at Young Marriage. We had prepared to study chapter 11 of the book that we're, we're going through. And um, Brother Russell Honick was um, in Hamilton, and he waltzed through the door. And that was a great resource just to um, have in our study. He'd been married for 41 years. And uh, we had an opportunity just to, uh, to ask him about marriage and some things he felt after many years of counselling experience with couples in crisis uh, sometimes. And um, we just had a wonderful time. And uh, we'll get to Chapter 11 next time, I think, in our young marriage study. But just to give you an update on how that was. Look at verse 12, Chapter 12, verse 12, 1 Corinthians. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Right? Imagine if your whole body was a nose. Right? That's what he's saying. It, that would be ridiculous. A body is made up of many parts, but it's one body. Same in the body of Christ. Verse 15. And that prevents this kind of attitude. Understanding that. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing 
be. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? Where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So spiritual gifts are connected to this metaphor. And and that means there's no reason for anyone to say, I'm inferior because I'm not like someone else. Because I haven't got this gift, therefore I'm a zero. The body metaphor helps us understand that all are crucial, all are important to God's church. And it also prevents something else, another attitude, wrong attitude in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we would bestow greater honour and so forth. And so the idea of superiority, thinking that some gifts are more superior in a proud way, is put to rest with understanding this body metaphor properly. And same with someone feeling like they have no contribution to make. We're a body, and each one of us is a part of it. Number six, spiritual gifts are given as a stewardship from God to believers. What's a stewardship, anyone? If you're a steward, what's another word for that, perhaps? Anyone? Caretaker? If you are a businessman and you purchase a business and you own the the business and the inventory and so forth, who do you put in the shop if you're unable to do it yourself? Manager, right? Someone who, while they don't ultimately own the things that you own as the investor, they take care of, they manage, they are the steward entrusted with those things in that business on your behalf. It's the same with spiritual gifts. Our spiritual gift is given to us by God, but as Peter says here in 1 Peter 4, it is a stewardship. We are to be good stewards. Now, if you were going to put your valuable possessions in the hands of a manager, what kind of manager would you look for? What character qualities would be number one? trustworthiness. And that's what you see in the New Testament. It's required of stewards that a man be found what? First Corinthians 3. Faithful. The mark of a good steward is that he is faithful. Faithful to his master. Faithful because he takes the things that his master has entrusted him with and uses them for the master's purpose. Um, where do we see this in a couple of parables in the New Testament? Parable of the parable of the talents. The whole context there is stewardship. Um, there were two men that were faithful, and when the time of accounting came, uh, when they stood before the master, he was able to say, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You were entrusted with this much, and so forth." Um, but there was also a person who was unfaithful and. Uh, he received censure from the master. Um, brothers and sisters, your spiritual gift has been entrusted to you by God to be used for the body of Christ and one day we will give an account to him of the way our faithfulness or our lack of faithfulness. And that ought to spur us on to um, live a life of service to to Christ. Paul says we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all give an account of our life. And part of that judgment will be with regard to our spiritual gifts. Number seven brings us to this point. Spiritual gifts can be misused. You can misuse your spiritual gift. Um, Here's one way, by neglect. 
Paul here to even say to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect the gift you have. There's some possessions that we might have been given or bought a long time ago and they're in the garage and they clutter up the dream of having a tidy garage, don't they, sometimes? And they're basically neglected. They're not used. And um, some, some other things, we, we can say that whatever we don't use, we, we lose. That is to say, your spiritual gift is not given to you in tip-top, 100% working order. They are designed to be used and to be developed. Um, someone might sense a desire to, to preach God's word and, and, and wonder as to whether God has given uh, them that gift. Um, but that doesn't mean that the gift was given so that they could preach like Billy Graham on their first sermon, right? Um, it may be, it will be years and years of faithful service and honing and shaping and developing through which God is glorified and I remember Stanley Toussaint, he came to speak here in Hamilton many years ago at Fittier Bible Church and he was going through, he spoke about spiritual gifts and he said, your spiritual gift is like an uncut diamond given to you. See a diamond when it comes out of the rocks? It's, it's, it's not like you see on a lady's finger, right? It comes out raw, it comes out just nothing fancy, but as the master jewelers take their the the diamond cutters and they put 58 facets on it in such a way that the end result is just brilliant light reflection and so forth. I may have told you this before, but when I lived in LA and did my training, one of their roommates was a was a um, diamond ring maker. He did it from our living room, and he had a wonderful customer base because at Grace Community Church, the college age ministry, the university age ministry, was around about three four hundred students. So Tony and I would come home from our lectures and find Scott on the couch uh, doing a sales pitch with some of his diamond rings. And one of his lines was this. Um, he said, my diamonds are like a light show. And he would be there with the tweezers and this diamond, he'd have the torch on it, <laughs> trying to impress these people that were in the living room. And it was a little bit awkward because we knew some of the people who were in the college ministry and they didn't really want us to know that they were thinking about getting engaged and Interesting dynamic, but um, but it was true. Um, in fact, the, his answer phone said this: "Welcome to the diamond connection. My diamond rings will embarrass your friends or your money back." And, um, and they were they, they were just incredible. And um, but they didn't start out that way. They didn't start out that way. And so when you, you hear certain people speak or you see certain people serve in certain ways in a way that um, is with excellence and is reflective of much training and much devotion in that, we understand that the honing of our spiritual gifts is a responsibility that each one of us should be willing to sacrifice for. But we can neglect them. Paul told Timothy, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Um, brothers and sisters, if you haven't been using your gifts, if you haven't been serving others in the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit says to you, fan into flame the gift of God. Don't let it die. Sometimes we can become discouraged. Amen. And there's been many a young man or woman who in their younger days desired to serve the Lord in a, in a certain way and perhaps they were discouraged. Perhaps someone said something which they've never gotten over. Um, it, it's a tragedy when that happens and one's gift which could have blossomed and bloomed for the glory of God and the body of Christ falls into disuse. Let's be those who encourage each other. Um, Let's be those who, when we see someone attempting to use their gift and having the courage to put themselves out there, get behind them and say, thank you so much for being willing to use your gifts for me. 
Lovelessness is another way they can be misused. That was the problem in Corinth, wasn't it? In fact, you've got 1 Corinthians 12, which talks about the endowment of spiritual gifts, gives a whole lot of categories. And then you've got chapter 14, which talks about um, the gift of prophecy and the blessings that come from that. And then right smack in the, in the middle, you have a whole section, which is often read at a wedding, on what? Love. Now, is it just there because of weddings? I'm not against that, by the way. I think it's a lovely definition of agape love that we each need to be committed to in our marriages. But here's the thing. The Corinthians had messed up spiritual gifts because they were using them selfishly. They weren't using them for other people in the body. They were using them for themselves to puff themselves up so that they look more important than others. And Paul has to stop them and say... Look, even if you have this spiritual gift, even if you had faith to move a mountain, even if you speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if you don't have love, you're not even a one. You're, you're a zero. So spiritual gifts must be used with love as a motive. Number eight, as we come to a close, spiritual gifts are many and diverse. And if you see in First Peter there, Peter here in very general terms, um, characterizes two categories of spiritual gifts. Um, here are the varieties. He speaks of those who speak, whoever speaks, verse 11, and whoever serves, the second part of verse 11. There's different varieties. And under the speaking gift, you could have evangelism, both public or private, or... Um, out in the open air, the gift of teaching is obviously a speaking gift. Uh, the gift of exhortation, uh, these are speaking gifts, whatever it might be, whatever context you are speaking and using that speaking gift, God's word here says that you are to speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. You say, what does that mean? It simply means that when you speak and you do ministry in the body of Christ, we're seeking to witness to others the content of what you are to share is the words of God. Not your own words, not your own opinions or things contrary to Scripture, but as speaking the oracles of God. Um, that's why on a Sunday morning that we're committed to go through the Bible so that it's not Brian Martin telling you what his latest ideas are, but it's the oracles of God that we're focusing on and seeking to understand. Um, because what I've got to say in and of myself um, is not significant and it's um, compared to the word of God, it's, it's foolishness. So whoever speaks, whatever kind of gift that you might have whereby you're involved in speaking, speak according to the word of God, speak the oracles of God. And then secondly, uh, second category, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Whatever your gift of serving, it might be the gift of helps. It might be the gift of giving. You might be someone who, who desires to serve behind the scenes to do unknown kindnesses to the body of Christ behind the scenes. Um, that many would not even know, but God knows. His direction to you is to do that by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything God might be glorified. You see, here's the deal. If you're speaking and you speak your own ideas and your own cleverness and your own fancy things, who is it that gets the glory? It's a speaker, right? It's a speaker. And um, John 7, 7 verse 18 says this. He, Jesus said, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So if you speak your own content, if you speak your own ideas, and they're couched in cleverness, like remember in the, the Greek 
uh, mindset of the day. They were hung up on philosophical wisdom and they would sit in the marketplace, remember? The Stoic philosophers and Paul's day, Acts chapter 17, talking about the latest ideas and it was like a competition who could have the most fancy, sophisticated idea because that would bring the philosopher, praise to God, no glory because he had such a wonderful IQ and intellect to bring it. And similarly, if we serve in our own strength, um, who, who is the one that gets the glory? It's ourselves. But if we serve in the strength of God, then it becomes obvious to everyone that God is the one that has done this and therefore God is glorified. Um, and and there's, a, there's a flip side to that truth as well. A connect, not a flip side, but a connected truth is that is God delight because God is seeking his own glory and as God, he, it's okay to do that compared to a human being because he is God. He is worthy of that. He is worthy of glory. It means if he is seeking glory, he will receive the greatest glory by using what kind of instrument? A strong instrument? One that is clever? One that has its powerful strength in its own source? Now, God delights to use the weak the shameful things of the world, right? First Corinthians 1 and 2. He, done, he does that. He uses weak, cracked vessels. Paul says we have this treasure in jars of, what? Jars of clay. Just cracked pots, if you like, as someone has said. Um, why? Because that brings him glory, because it becomes obvious that the power is of God. And that means is if we're going to serve God, we must be willing to be made weak. And Paul says, Paul found the truth, didn't he? When I am weak, it's then that I am strong. And that's why many times that God takes us through trials in this life. Um, in fact, A.W. Tozer said, those whom God will use greatly, he will wound deeply. Those whom God will use greatly, he will wound deeply. And that's a profound statement. You see it in Paul. What did, what did Jesus say with regard to Paul on the road to Emmaus? Not Emmaus. Damascus. Just testing. When he got saved, what did he say? I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. And that was his ministry. He faced mocking, he faced um, slander, ridicule, uh, stoning, riots, imprisonment, even some other Christians said about him, yeah, Rob Paul, God's put him in jail because his shelf life is over, he's on the shelf. Philippians, that's what they said, were saying. And through it all, Paul said, no, I still rejoice because the gospel is preached, even by those who have a false motive. I still rejoice because it's not all about me. It's all about, it's all about Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die, to die is gain. See, he's Christ-centered. He's Christ-focused. It was all about Christ. And he was willing to be weak in order that Christ might be magnified in his life. So I want to suggest to you from Peter here, Peter gives two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. To do them with the strength God provides. To, If you're speaking, speak the oracles of God, not your own cleverness. Why? So that God is the one that ultimately gets the glory. Zechariah 4 verse 6, And he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Um, I would say pray for the preacher in this regard, just as an application. There's times when I just feel really weak. Um, if you think that I'm sorted every Sunday morning and feel ready to go, I didn't last night, and I emailed my brother Gavin over here and just said, I really need your prayer, brother, and um, pray for the preacher. 
Spurgeon used to talk about like a diver who goes down into the deeps, deeps trying to uncover pearls. So it is with the person who speaks God's word that we need someone up on the boat sending down air so that they're able to do the job. Why? For the preacher's glory? No. So the preacher won't look foolish on a Sunday because he hasn't got nothing to, hasn't got anything to say? No. But so that people would be helped and um, God would be ultimately glorified. I was going to mention in the third category of gifts today, but I'm going to refrain and uh, because there is some misunderstanding and confusion among the church has been for many years now with regard to another category of gifts which I would call the sign gifts the sign gifts and perhaps we'll keep that for another time at River City Bible Church let's serve one another in love let's use our spiritual gifts to build the body of Christ Um, may it not be that we choose to be away from God's people when there's opportunity to meet with them because if we're away and there's needs and your gift is needed you're going to be missed in the body Um, which is why you're here today I'm thankful for the way you serve one another I'm thankful for the things that I hear about going on behind the scenes in one another's life and I say to each one of us and myself this morning let's excel still more for God's glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you as the risen Christ. And through your victory, you have ascended to heaven and given gifts to your body. Lord, we have a stewardship and we ask that you'd make us faithful in serving your people. We pray, Lord, that you give us wisdom and insight and build your church through your people doing what they're called to do, that the world might see, Lord, that we belong to you and that the gospel might go forth with power in a needy generation, we pray. We thank you for our visitors here today and we pray that they would have been encouraged, Lord, through time with your people. We pray these things now in Jesus' name.